0: Welcome, this is Ken Roshan in Washington DC live and we are an amplified voice America and we are so grateful for a wonderful platform of telling leaders how they can make a difference in our guests sharing their stories that influence and inspire them to play bigger. How are you doing it, Andrea?
2: I'm doing wonderful. We just had a really eventful week uh, doing some covering some events in Washington, DC, in Baltimore, and then in Philadelphia. So, super excited about the people that showed up uh, to be honored for uh, the Keep Smiling movement. So, that was quite fantastic. Met a lot of really wonderful nonprofits who want to play along with us and get their names and their smiles out in the world. So, it's been very, very productive.
0: Amen. We are actually going across the United States and picking 30 cities that we want to highlight, the movers and shakers of that city, in hopes of having people like David Black and Carol Stern enjoy a nice book tour in friendly territories that actually help them tell the truth, share the truth, and inspire them to also play big.
2: Uh, Well, that's definitely going to be great. And he mentioned those two names. So, so you guys know, those are going to be our guests today. They'll be on in just a couple moments. I guess I should take now. Yeah, I know, it's so fun. I should take now. What a coincidence, uh, though.
0: That is such a coincidence. I mentioned their names and they're also going to be on the show. This is really. And they're going to be on the show.
2: I know. It's amazing how you think like that. It's like (laughs) your brain is just a pop. And we also want to let people know that uh, this week, uh, Ken, Dr. Ken Rashawn is going to be speaking at the Energy Science and Technology Conference conference in hayden idaho it'll be a really exciting event where he will be among some other major leaders in the area of science energy uh, technology i just said those out of order but uh, he is going to be doing uh, his talk on smiles per hour ken do you want to give a little uh, pre-commercial on that
0: Well, it has been proven and never disproven that the higher your smiles per hour are, the more abundant you are, the more you're happy and enjoying life. So we'll leave it at that for right now. I just, I want to say that I've been so impressed over the last couple months for your New Year's resolution that you carry your books wherever you go. I've seen you drive where the books are going with you in the car, uh, your whole bookshelf. And I want to put it out in the world that I, I only wish, and I mean I wish, I'm putting on the universe that there was a guest we had that had books in their background that lived for their books that wanted to show the books to the world. And if we could only have a guest like that,
2: If we only had one. Well, after the uh, introduction of our sponsors, we will find out, does one of our guests have a love for books, just like Andrea? And also, does
0: it mean that putting out in the universe can cause this type of attraction, the law of attraction, to actually happen?
2: Absolutely. We're going to manifest destiny right now. Uh, So we do want to thank our sponsors. That's uh, bees.social.com dot the crypto literacy program changing the world because enough is enough for the people, by the people. We also want to thank the Umbrella Syndicate, Big Events USA, The Red Carpet Connection, Perfect Publishing, The EMFfix.com, MyMakeupLady.com, Lynn Benavides and Voice America Influencers Channel. And uh, Ken is show, showing you the book for the guests that we're going to be having on today. And, and we also want to remind you uh, that uh, the Keep KeepSmilingMovement.com is our charity of choice, 5013C, dedicated to saving lives with smiles by creating a dose of hope. And also this week, I'll be speaking at the World Congress for Brain Mapping and Therapeutics I'll be speaking, uh, so Ken and I will both be sharing some pretty cool things with the world this week. Um, I'll be speaking again about the biopsychosocial dynamics of a smile. And then I'll be talking about uh, contrasting or con- um, wait, what is it, counteracting the neuroendocrine stress response with a dose of smiles. So I'll be talking about how the effects of smiles, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins actually shifts that response system. So that instead of uh, feeling ick and ooh and negative, you actually counteract that stress response with happiness and feel better and a sense of peace and calmness. So that'll be pretty exciting. So I'm speaking on two different panels for that. And- uh, a we have, it's a, a lot of panels. That's a lot of panels. panels. So uh, I Ken and I are sharing a lot. <clears throat>
0: I need to apologize first because the audience is probably noticing that I have my top button unbuttoned. And that is because I did a couple push-ups in Ocean City. There was a water main break and the fireworks broke and I thought I was going to have to become a hero. Did a couple push-ups, caused the chest to expand and so not so comfortable on some of my shirt. So that is the reason why this shirt is a little bit more unbuttoned
2: <laughs> oh, By now. the way, your shirts are sponsored by mensfashion.com, mensfashion.com.
0: And the brand is Au Noir.
2: Oh, Noir, that one in particular. So, yes, yes. Ken has a new uh, new, uh, clothing sponsor. So, we're so excited that you'll be seeing him all dressed up schnazzy in the next uh, couple
0: of no weeks. More, no more wife beaters and t-shirts that I grab from concerts. This is the real deal. We're playing amplified fashion.
2: I love it. Well, our first guest is David Black. So, uh, David, you can turn on your mic whenever you'd like. There you oh, are. Oh, my gosh.
0: I see books this behind gentleman.
2: him. This gentleman not only has a fabulous book collection, okay, so in full transparency, this is a fake book collection behind me, but I normally sit on the other side of the room where you see my real books, and I do have a book, a whole library at my office, and a whole library at my home. I am a uh, avid fan of books and uh, keep them and hold on to them tight. So, David Black, not only is he a book lover himself, but he's an award winning journalist, novelist, screenwriter, and producer. His novel, Like Father, was named a notable book by the year by the New York Times and listed as one of the seven best novels of the year by the Washington Post. The King of Fifth Avenue was named a notable book of the year by New York Times, New York Magazine, and the AP NPR's weekend edition called his novel, The Extinct Event, one of the five best books of summer. So he's also been uh, chosen by a TV guide of uh, um, law and order shows. Life Choice is one of the best 100 episodes of which he was a part of. He's received the Edgar Allan Poe Special Award. He uh, what else? Oh, he also got an Edgar Allan Poe eight hey. Yeah, Edgar Allan Poe Award nomination for Happily Ever After and for Carrier and for uh, Rolling Stone's 50th Anniversary History. Also mentioned him. He is one of the only six writers profiled. He's won the Writers Guild of America. I, I could continue to go on. Oh, he's got a Playboy's Best Article of the Year Award. If, if I were to go on, I literally there would be no time for David to even speak at all. We're so excited to have him here. He actually is part of this book Called uh, ripped apart, and we'll be talking about that, and also having Carol Stern on shortly. So uh, I'm so excited to have you on, David. Thanks for being here with us.
1: I'm good, glad to be here, and I'll tell you a little story about the books and my and my marriage. Uh, I had gotten divorced from an earlier marriage, and I was not very good at dating. And occasionally, when a young woman came home with me a cup of tea Um, invariably I'd open the door and they'd take a step back in horror and say look at all the books my wife uh, Barbara Weisberg who is from Philadelphia uh, and whose great uncle uh, ASW Rosenbach was the greatest book collector in the world and his uh, house is now a museum in Philly so she grew up around lots of books so when I opened the door, she saw the books, took a step in and said, oh, you know, look at all those books. And I knew it was a done deal.
0: They had to be married. Well, that is a Well, that is a very good sign. And this is only a small part of your book collection. Is that correct? Yeah, there, I've got about 10,000 books
1: But it's what? We're a family of writers, so my wife gets, you know, whenever we do a project, you get a little library that helps you decide, um how well you can fool the public and think you know what you're talking about.
0: So you have a very large book collection that is not being represented in this photo. Uh,
1: I have... Uh, it's a house full of writers. My my wife is also a writer. Uh, and, and we both ended up, oddly... Uh, we met about 26 years ago and got married. The third... Uh, week that we were married, I was going through some memorabilia and found a play uh, a playbill for a production of Waiting for Godot and Barbara said, oh, I remember seeing that production at the Writer's States Theater on East 3rd Street. You must have seen it the same time I did. I started it. I was a kid actor. Really? If I had oh, nice. paid attention, I could have looked into the audience and said, you in the third row we're going to get married, not immediately, but soon. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so it was a little fated to be. I did ask Barbara to marry me on the second date. I knew from the first date, but I cut myself shaving and bled all over. So I didn't think it was the moment. Uh, but on the second date, I said, I'm, I'm ready. You're, you're the one for me. Um, no pressure. Take as much time as you want. And she looked deeply into my eyes and said, are you out of your frigging mind? And it took me two years to rule her.
0: Did it? Two years. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you said uh, previously that you had about 10,000 books. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm enjoying a uh, an audible, Elon Musk, Ashley Vance. Uh, and it's probably about eight or nine, 10 hours. And it has been so enjoyable, but I don't know if you knew this about him, but he read 10 hours a day when he could, when he could, and he polished, and I'm talking about in second, third, third grade, he had read every book he possibly could in the two libraries that were close to his town. Really? uh, Pretoria. And I share this because I have thousands of books, but we can only read so many if we have this mindset that there's only so much time to read and we have as much time as we want to read. So of the 10,000 that you have, what percentage do you? Have that right. well, Umberto
1: Echo, who has a huge library, was once asked, have you read all these books? And he said, no, but I've read one really thoroughly. <laughs> um, I would say I, I w- haven't read all of them through, um, but I've used all of them because what happens, as I said, is I'll get involved in a project like Ripped Apart, the project with Carol, and um, that's it. And I thought, well, it would take a six months to a year. But four years later, I realized I had to learn all the medicine. I had to learn all the legal stuff. So you end up uh, collecting a library for every project you do. And when you have five writers in the house, or, or my kids are no longer in the house, but we have a lot of their books, the books pile up.
2: Hey, Carol, so, uh, I asked you to turn your, mic- your screen on.
0: So, David, this is obviously an important book to you. Um, you have, your time is very valuable and you choose your projects carefully. So how important was this book and this project and Carol?
1: It, it in some ways changed my life. I mean, part part of it is, uh, you know, I, I've been a uh, working writer for decades and Carol is that rare Uh, being uh, someone I started interviewing who's become a lifelong friend, and she is one of the most remarkable women I've ever met. She's a force of nature, and her story, uh, the first three times I talked to her about the new mutual friend, about doing the story, I thought, well, a medical malpractice story. After the verdict, you can't do a better narrative about malpractice, but Uh, And the third time I talked to her, I realized that with the background of the failure of the American healthcare system, this is a story about love that literally defied death. And Carol can tell you more about
0: that. As she will, because this show is a result of this book, and I can't come up with any other reason that this show could have happened except for this book. How many books have you done that your name is on the front cover? Mine. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I think about 14, I have six unpublished novels I wrote when I was very, very young, and thank God they're not published, and a book of poetry that I go on Amazon, buy up copies to destroy every chance I get.
0: So of your 14 that are on Amazon and have your name on the front cover, how pinnacle was this particular project?
1: This is... It's a book that matters in a way, um, both emotionally, because I'm meeting Carol and, and her story, uh, but it changed my life. So I would say, I mean, all your books are like your kids, you can't choose one over the other, but but this book uh, had a profound effect on me uh, while I was writing it and getting to know Carol.
0: We're going to uh, take a deeper dive into you, who you are, and your story, but I, I just want to say that I echo that sentiment because when I was offered the opportunity to cover this book launch, and I heard what the book launch was about, I was honored that I could even be considered, and when I saw the energy that Carol exudes in her truth, and also the friendship and the energy between the two of you, I knew I was in the right place, so that really speaks to why a show would happen after this. That also speaks to why a campaign has to happen forever on this. So, mm-hmm. David, one of the things we're excited to always share with our audience is the creation of the who someone wants to become. And we start with where they were born and their childhood and their parenthood and some defining moment that caused you to be who you are.
1: Uh, I was a kid actor. And when I was 12 years old, um, the Summerstock Theater uh Equity company. Uh, I used to wander down to my dressing room by a longer route so I could peek in and see the engineer, a woman named Cancino, who was usually in her underwear. And I was 12 years old. So it seemed a logical thing to do. And one day as I passed, I heard a woman sobbing. And there was a very beautiful woman sitting in Cancino's dressing room. And I was introduced, this was her cousin, Margarita Cancino, and she was drunk. I've never, it was the first time I remember smelling liquor on an adult's breath. And she saw me peering in, she had been complaining about some guy who did her wrong. And she said, well, maybe you wouldn't treat me like that, would you, kid? So why don't you, you and me, let's get married. Years later, I realized Margarita Cancino is Rita Hayworth. So when I was 12 years old, Rita Hayworth asked me to marry her. And I guess it's I think it's probably good that I said no. I said, well, 30 minute call. I got against my makeup and wardrobe. And that changed my life. I mean. In ways that are still incalculable.
0: Uh, I would say so. And uh, where were you born?
1: I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. uh, And when I was one, my parents moved to Springfield, Mass., which had the country's first court mandated integrated school program called the Springfield plan. And they even made a movie called the Springfield plan. Hmm. And uh, my parents moved there because they were left. My father was a Trotskyist and he would put me to bed every night with good night, sleep tight, wake up bright in the morning light, come the revolution may it be short and bloody. I didn't know about bed bugs when I heard uh, years later, College friends with kids saying, you know, don't let the bed bugs bite. I said, wait a minute, what happened to the revolution?
0: <laughs> and uh, what else about your parents?
1: Um, the My father, uh, I come from uh, on my mother's side, three generations of uh, Jewish atheists and socialists. On my father's side, three generations of Jewish atheists, socialists, and gangsters. And I found out my family were mobbed up when a cousin, when I was around 12, 12 was a big year for me, said, you know, our family, are Jewish mob. And I said, well, how do you know? He said, well, I went to a bar mitzvah and everyone's middle name was the.
0: That's a very good name to have. Prepositions are not utilized yeah. enough in names. these days.
1: Harry, the horse, <laughs> Benny, the nose.
0: Super. So, um, going onward, when did you decide you would be an author?
1: Well, I, I started writing, I actually, I started trying to get public, getting published when I was seven years old. And for me, you know, the, the crisis came when I got out of college and I had to decide whether or not continue acting or, or continue writing or both. And writing one out because I could have more control over, you know, I could be the casting agent, I could be the locations guy, I could be the stage manager, I could be all the actors, Uh, because you just make it up. And then you leave it to the uh, production people to try to figure out how to uh, make this improbable thing you described on the page uh, work on the screen.
0: And what was your first book, your first project that did get published?
1: The first book that got published was uh, called Ecstasy and it was a book about the one paranormal experience which was being studied uh, in laboratories, scientific laboratories. And so I thought, I was a child of the 60s, and this was uh, late 60s, early 70s. So I, I wanted to see what all the mysticism that the counterculture was bringing in with it, what it was all about. And so I Went to every lab in America and England, which was doing exper- experiments and out of body experiences, because a third of the people in any population have them. And when you have them, you've got particular brain waves. So something is happening. We just don't know what it is. So I thought that would uh, give me a chance to try to figure out how that fit into our worldview. And I figured out that the um, mysticism, or the paranormal or is not against the Western rationalist tradition. It's the Western rationalist tradition at the end of its rope. We can explain anything, uh, including the inexplainable, inexplicable.
0: How was that experience uh, doing your first book? Was it a success? Was it a failure?
1: It, was, it, it got great reviews. It became uh, a bit of a classic in paranormal Uh, fields, circles. Uh, I I made a very drastic mistake in my career, though, because I just followed what interested me. So, I would do that book on the paranormal. I did two books on medicine. I did a historical biography of the man who created the style of the Gilded Age in America, and and then novels, and then screenplays. And so, there was a period when it appeared it was apparent that people thought there were a number of David Blacks out there. One who was a biographer, one who was a science writer, one who was a novelist, one who was working in television and movies. And if I'd been smart, I would have, whatever my first book was just sequels, Hmm. ecstasy at the seashore, ecstasy in space, ecstasy goes to camp, ecstasy goes to college. And then you develop a niche and, uh, I saw there was enough just to try to write as well as she could.
0: So medicine is not too far off our topic of the choice of book that we are talking about today. What, what about medicine did you write about?
1: Carol's story is extraordinary. For four years, she took care of her husband who, because he was misdiagnosed by the doctors, lived with his internal organs on the outside of his body. Four years. And the the opportunity to do a book about the American healthcare system from the street level, from what it's like for the people who really experience it, not the 1% or the 0.01% who can afford the best healthcare in the world, but ordinary folks like us. Mm-hmm. And um, and I realized it was also as much as a lo- of a love story as it was uh medical or legal story. And Carol and Gary literally had a love that defied death.
0: How'd they find you?
1: We had a mutual friend Carol, you, you
0: tell
2: how we found actually found let's her.
0: bring Carol in as a bio then
2: at this point. Okay. Yeah, let Go me ahead. let me get her red here. Hold on just a moment. I uh pulled away and, and Carol, you look wonderful.
0: You look sunny. You look like the summer is uh, right around you and that you have come inside from the sun with your beautiful smile.
3: I just watched a
2: boat drive by.
0: <laughs>
3: Did you?
2: Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So Carol is right on the
1: water. Great place.
2: Yes. Carol is the wife of Gary Stern, the subject of the, up, well, the biography Ripped Apart, Living Misdiagnosed. It's a true story of one of the largest medical malpractice awards in U.S. history. It's a real-life account of how a husband and wife's love was tested during the darkness of times and how that duo's love was tested. The major story points are threaded throughout the book, and it was been written by David Black, who's our other guest, and it has just been released here this last month. And it's really about her and how they met and how they loved and what happened uh, in the situation with his life through his misdiagnosis, the malpractice trial. And then today, um, after his passing, how Carol has been fighting to make sure that things like this don't happen again. And she is going against the American healthcare system and wants to make sure that people understand that this doesn't have to happen to them. So it is a beautiful thing. Uh, to have her here with us today so she can chronicle his life and how his life can have an impact to make a difference on others.
0: So, Carol, I wanted to just uh, acknowledge you that so many people could have this happen and they disappear in depression. They disappear because they don't know they can make a difference. And I see your spirit, I see your leadership, and I see that you are attracting um, the type of people that can echo and amplify Gary's, um, what he had to pay, what he had to pay in order for the truth to happen. So it's very important you receive that because that's what can stop a lot of people. Is they don't know they can make that difference. And I just want to applaud you for that.
3: Thank you. It's great to be on your show. By the way, uh, I can't say that I'm doing anything by myself. I mean, God's got His hand in this so hard. He He needs people helped and he blessed me with a big no. So, and after everything that Gary went through, all the pain and the suffering, if I can stop other people from having to go through it, then something good can come out of me losing Gary.
0: So Gary, Gary's story and your love story. And then obviously the situation that we are, amplifying to bring the truth to there are in my recollect a couple type of readers. There are people that might be going through what Gary went through. There's people going through what you're going through and there's people that are completely unaware. So if you read this book and you got this book handed to you a year before Gary's diagnosis, misdiagnosis, what would have happened?
3: If I had read this before, then Gary would not have gotten his medicine that the doctors gave him. I would have thought from the very beginning instead of believing the doctors
0: because so let's, I believe them. So let's go a little deeper there. What I, I understand why you'd believe a doctor because a doctor has gone to school. They are supposed to be the expert and they are supposed to be taking care of you on every level they can. So the but, share sure how that actually sh- shows up um, more specifically that you could take action and safe carry.
3: There's different elements too. I mean, we didn't have insurance. So when you go in there, they're only doing the bare minimum instead of doing all the proper testing. Doctors were coming back with tests that were inconclusive and they made assumptions. Can we we stop there for a second? Yeah.
0: Can we stop there? So each time you bring a point up that could be covered in the book, um, I want to see how the book and how you would address that particular part. So you didn't have enough insurance or you did not, you were not well insured to receive the the treatment that Gary deserved and that any human in America deserves. So what do you do at that point? Say that one more time. And David, if you'd like to chime in at any point based on your uh, knowledge of the problem, be, by all means, do so. did you want to comment on that? Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: Carol, Carol, First of all, she learned, she, she went to school. She learned everything she had to learn about her husband's problem. And she, in fact, even invented a kind of gasket, on a body pump that she did not patent. She put it out there for anyone to use. And doctors and nurses are using it all over the country, probably all over the world this very day. Do you want to talk about that, Carol? But-
2: Ken, can we, for the audience, since uh, Ken and I had the pleasure of reading the book, other people haven't, will you say what his, uh, what what he ended up um, dying from and what, what the situation was and what was the misdiagnosis so that we can frame people for what's happening? Thank you.
3: Let's, let's start, if it's okay, to start with a misdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. Sure. They wanted to assume that Gary had a flare-up from Crohn's disease, so they treated him with prednisone and Toradol. If Gary was having a Crohn's flare up, it would have been perfect. But the test they did showed inconclusive. They didn't do an endoscope. Instead, they sent him home, and the doctor said, next time you need to stop being a self-paid patient. Red flag, saying, we don't have insurance, which we didn't. And then he ended up back in the hospital because I was still giving him the medication. They did surgery on him twice before they realized it's not a Crohn's flare-up. He had an ulcer, and because of the medication we gave him, it perforated. They didn't tell us that. They just kept saying, oh, Crohn's Crohn's, trying to hide it, making things things worse. They cut into Giri intestines, which started fistulas, which is basically a hole. And it got worse and worse and worse. And they kept treating him for Crohn's for four months, even though they were coming up to me going, we don't know what to do. He's going to die. Like, well, I know what to do. I'm going to get him out of here. So I Googled where to take him. And that's how I moved on to that. Unfortunately, because his intestines were open for all the world to see for over three years. And he had so many fistulas, he couldn't eat. So he went five years without eating, three years without eating anything at all, over three years. Everything was intravenous. Everything was an IV, which is TPN. Now, TPN will survive patients. People are put on it with for different reasons all the time. However, God did not intend for us to live on TPN. So it works, but it starts affecting your other vital organs because they're being overworked when they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to Gary at the end. He sort of came to his body shutting down because he couldn't handle it. So, so every let's day... Cut, let's that, cut in for a second,
0: Carol. Yeah. Uh, explain to the audience what Crohn's is.
3: Crohn's disease is a... Intestinal. And it's with
0: colitis, right? Crohn's and-,
3: Crohn's and colitis. Colitis is it's the only difference of the placement, really. Um, it, it affects your intestinal organs, usually your small intestines, although, you know, you're large. You've also got diverticulitis that can be misdiagnosed for Crohn's, things like that. It's basically um, somebody that has Crohn's, their intestines are not as strong as others. So they develop small areas that rub and can get holes or just get cramping. And you can be in a lot of pain with it. There's a lot of issues with what you can eat, what you can't eat. There's no particular diet. Everyone's different. And the way I described Gary's Crohn's, because he went into remission. It's like being a diabetic. Once you been diagnosed you're going to have it forever but 2000 he got medication and a small surgery and he went into remission well his Crohn's his intestines was like a beautiful sandcastle it's fine you can look at it and and admire it all you want but don't cut into it and that's what a doctor did he cut into Gary's intestines without knowing what he was doing yeah, he knew how to be a surgeon, but he didn't know how to handle a Crohn's patient. And it started a reaction where Gary just started developing holes all in his intestines. He was becoming septic. So when his uh, body took over and his intestines started coming out of his stomach, he wasn't being septic anymore. It was just stooling on his stomach. It's, it's not easy to listen to but there's a lot of people out there like this and they're not alone and they need to know that.
2: And let me put a little bit of context to what Carol's saying. So, um, so Crohn's disease, it's an inflammatory bowel disease, Um, and like she said, it does affect everybody differently. But often, you know, people have severe diarrhea, abdominal pain. The lining of the wall becomes extremely sensitive to all kinds of things, and it can trigger it where the person then um, is then um, so inflamed and so bad that it can not only cause you know extreme fatigue fatigue, and dehydration and um, so forth from the diarrhea. But then because of the irritation and the lining of the wall, um, those holes then allow a leakage of that, uh, the, Fluids Septic. to get into the body, which causes the septicemia and so forth um, that she's talking about. And then, so a fistula is when it's more than a hole; it's like a little channel, canal where there's stuff that can get caught or and stuck in that tract, which then make it even worse and create more problems. And so that sometimes uh, some bowel, when once you touch it or irritate it, it now continues, a uh, uh, triggers another irritation, and it just continues on. And uh, and so um, and it varies for everyone so it can be quite challenging for people to uh, deal with. And so if they catch it early, sometimes they do things where they pull out ha- part of the intestines or they um, skip part of it. There's other things that can happen. But once you're in the mix of, of crazy in there, then it's often difficult to get ahead of things.
3: That I help could Carol? have said it better myself. <laughs> so okay, Carol
0: let's let's go back to the the preventative or calling baloney on the doctor. So um is this a Crohn's issue that uh people that have partners have Crohn's or is it really a, a a global problem or a, a national problem we have with the doctors misdiagnosing?
3: It's a global problem. It's it's you're going to have so many people have underlying conditions. It doesn't mean the rest of your body's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. But if you don't take care of the rest of your body, that's going to attack even worse.
0: So what are the questions when asked, uh, insured or uninsured, that prevent these misdiagnoses from happening?
3: Insured or uninsured?
0: It doesn't it, really matter. Yeah, It doesn't how matter. Do you, check?
3: you treat the patient for the conditions, for all the conditions, and if you're not getting a positive result, then you do a different test to find out what exactly the issue is. If the doctors did all the testing that they needed to do, then they never would have given him the prednisone and Toradol. They would have known his Crohn's wasn't active. They needed Crohn's active. They they did it. Gary was right. His Crohn's was fine. He had an ulcer.
0: Understood. So we're going to uh, have David chime in. David, you are the person that had the uh, uh, more of a periphery of the situation. We were able to research and write as needed to happen without the emotional connection to Gary directly. So, what would you say to add to what Carol just shared?
1: Well, I developed an emotional connection to Gary through Carol. I mean, Car- Carol, if the book has any virtue at all, and I think it has a lot, uh, it's because of Carol. She is most open, extraordinary, omni-competent. I mean, you know, whatever she sets her mind to, she does. Uh, you know, her mother told her never to take no for an answer, and she doesn't. Um, and I, th- I think the, uh, Carol's courage and you showed some of the pictures, Ken, um, of Gary. Her courage was astonishing. I mean, you know what Carol and Gary went through was as hard as the pioneers went through. You know, uh, opening up the West in America it was, you know, and in a way, it was just as lonely. They were there on their own, having to do what they thought they had to do in a hospital. In hospitals, they're schizophrenic. On the one hand, they're there to help people heal. On the other hand, they're bureaucracies, and even the the, uh, uh, nonprofits have to look at the bottom line, which has nothing to do with healing. And uh, Carol wanted to write this book as a map for other people, not just people who are suffering from Crohn's, uh, but for anyone who goes into a hospital and has a doctor who doesn't want to answer your question, you have a right to know and understand and get second opinions, and doctors uh, unfortunately sometimes think that they're they're gods.
0: So let's talk about that map for a second. You are going to the doctors because there's a problem. you don't know what the problem is. Would you navigate us through A scenario that's not so pretty that it doesn't look like it's going right, and how you can get it back on course. Carol? Because that's exactly what Carol did. Yes. Carol, would you like to answer that?
3: Before you even go to the doctors, Google as much as you can about your symptoms so you can ask more questions to the doctors. And it really depends on the answers you get from the doctor and the connection that you get. If you have a doctor that's talking down to you, or if you have a doctor that's trying to talk over you, you knock him off his pedestal and say, well, thank you very much, and walk out. Don't stay with that doctor. Or if you have a doctor that's looking at the computer and they're not looking at you, you're in the doctor's office waiting to be examined, but he's not examining you. Well, doctor, you know, my right foot hurts. Well, don't stand on your right foot. Get out of there. Find out what is wrong with your foot. And you wouldn't believe how many doctors will do that. They're so busy looking at their watch. Oh, I've got 12 minutes for a patient because that's all the insurance company allows. (laughs) 12 minutes, 12 minutes. You know, they're in and out and in and out. No, it takes more than 12 minutes to figure out this body. And your body. right? So Google all you can to know so you can ask questions and if a doctor's not wanting to sit down and and talk to you about your questions or at least go into that area of your body that you're saying hurts, then find another doctor. Don't stay there. I don't care if it's an ER doctor or a surgeon or whatever. just There's good doctors out there. There's fabulous doctors out there.
0: So that let's go to that for a second. Cause in my world of social proof, publishing authors, speakers, leaders, et cetera, there's something called Google, which you did mention earlier where you can actually Google how good is this person and reviews come up. Is this something that is possible with doctors?
3: Absolutely. You can Google anybody. You can Google right. anything.
0: So everyone gets reviews, and then I guess another poignant question would be, have you ever diagnosed something like this before and, and find out the success?
3: First thing you want to Google is what your symptoms are. So you can see the different areas. So you know what kind of doctor to go to. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and, and figure out, you know, what they are. And you can't trust all reviews. I mean, with anything, you're going to have bad employees, mad employees, ex-wives. You never know who's sending those reviews at that. So you have to look at all of them. And Google the hospitals that they're affiliated with. See how their reputation is. And, and, And learn as much as you can about your body or your loved one's body. I didn't do that with Gary. That was my mistake. And I'm hoping that other people can learn from what I didn't do in time. If they can learn, okay, I'm going to Google this. This is what's going on. I need to find out what this is about. Oh, okay. No, I don't need to go to a dentist. I need to go to a pathologist. Something, whatever it is, to, to help with whatever your condition is. And trust in yourself and your inner voice. If you go into a doctor's office and you don't feel comfortable with what the doctor's saying, walk out. And if a doctor's giving you a prescription because it's a new medicine and you just saw the pharmaceutical rep leave, don't take it. They know thank you because he's just wanting kickbacks and they do that too. Oh yes. You know, and that needs to stop. But don't even get me started on the insurance
0: companies because they don't like me. I'm sure they don't. So let's talk about someone you do like and love, Gary. Do you want to share with the audience who Gary is? Because he isn't just a subject of a book. He's obviously someone before the book that was doing some great things. You want to share who he was?
3: Gary. Gary Brian Stern, my husband. The most handsome, magnificent man that could have ever walked into my life. And for me. He had a beautiful smile. He was very distinguished. In a joking way. He had more than one. Type of. of he, he could get along with everybody. Everybody loved him. And. He treated me like I was. Better than a queen. I. I did not serve to be treated as well as Gary treated me, but you couldn't tell Gary about He, The love that that man showed me was something that... Sorry, Ken. Sorry, David. I didn't know him in New to do. I thought it was a woman thing. And
0: it sounds, it I, sounds a bit notebookish.
3: Notebookish? Yeah. Well, I really... I mean, my mom raised five girls and a boy. So I saw the woman's side to it. I never saw the guy's side to it. And I just didn't think men could love as much as women could. I didn't. I, that was my stupidity. Like, yeah, Gary did. He loved me more than life itself because he
2: suffered through all that pain to
3: make sure I was Okay.
2: Well, it shows how amazing you are that you attracted somebody like that. Thank
3: you. Yeah.
0: And I want to bring this back to the fact that people can connect with you and Gary and David through this book. Um, It's on Amazon. How else can people get the book? How's the book going? Is it going to become a movie?
3: David, you want to answer that?
1: We're, uh, Carol and I are working on a uh, limited uh, TV three episodes, uh, three nights, two, two hours, each episode script. And, and that's another thing. Carol had never written a script before. And there are people in Hollywood making enormous amounts of money who aren't as good as script as Carol. Uh, she, she researched writing scripts the same way she researched medicine and she has an absolute solid grasp of structure. Um, so making my job easy going, you know, working on the script after, after Carol kind of basically staked the claim.
3: Can I have a little disclosure in there? Of course. Um, Disclose it. I'm dyslexic. And when I graduated high school, I only had a fourth grade reading level. I had to overcome that myself. <laughs> so it can be done.
0: That's beautiful, and Carol, you and I have something in common in that if it wasn't for someone we loved, we wouldn't be in this hot seat right now. My mom uh, was diagnosed with dementia and then Alzheimer's, and I became a caregiver and The reason I was pulled to you and was so excited about supporting you is I know what it is to have someone not intentionally put you in a in a thought in a place that says. I can't let this be without making my life more important. So I relate to you on a very high level. And my mom passed in 2008. I did my first book in 2009. And that's why I asked that question to you, David, what was your first book like? Because so many authors do a book and don't do another because they're just doing a book. They're not committing to actually changing the world with a book and change the world with their, with their ability to communicate and influence. So, I'm excited about this show. I'm excited about who you guys are and how I can support you. I wanted to make sure we round things up by addressing anything that was not talked about in the show that is the book, um, a book facet that needs to be known. Is there anything else you'd like to share first, Carol?
3: As far as where the book's concerned?
0: Yes, as far as where the book is concerned. I,
3: I just hear people can use it as a guide and a tool. And I really hope that there's some people that are influential that will take notice so that they can start taking care of us for a change instead of the insurance companies doing it because they, they don't do a very good job at it.
0: Well, my hope and your marketing play is that this is not just a Gary and Carol isolated situation is that you start attracting stories and um, social proof that this is a a different type of pandemic. This is a situation where we are trusting people that are supposed to take care of us. And it's not a good trust to just give freely.
3: Try talking to someone that doesn't know somebody that's been misdiagnosed. Since we started talking about the book, it's hard to find somebody that doesn't know somebody that's has been segment. That's a problem.
0: It is a problem. And it's actually uh, the marketing opportunity, as it were, to make sure people know this is not one and done. This is not a story that could be a movie. This is actually a problem. This is a very big problem. So David, It needs to be you know,
3: fixed.
0: It does. It needs to be fixed. So, David, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about the book? And how does the book help fix this problem?
1: Well, it, it, it lets people know, A, they're not alone, B, it gives them a map of how to deal uh, even something as similar to what Carol said. Ask your doctors anything, and if you don't understand or don't like what they're saying, keep asking. Um, we're trying to encourage people to send their stories to us, either through our uh, Ripped Apart blog page or on Amazon. And... Our dream would be to get Carol in front of Congress, talk about health care on the normal level, the street level, not the experts, not the big shots. Have someone like Carol talk to Congress about she had to she had to fight her way from local politicians up to Obama's White House um, before she got help for for Gary. Uh, but Carol was used to taking on presidents because when she was a child, she answered the phone um, Grand Central Station. And it was Richard Nixon calling her mother. They said, who is this? You're not allowed, allowed to talk to the president like that. So Carol is fearless. She'll take on presidents, hospital systems. But she's also completely selfless. She is uh, in the book. Carol talks about having angels who helped her. She herself is an angel, and she's helped me.
0: And what what is a a big takeaway from the book that you had as kind of an epiphany?
1: Um, That someone could be, A, as courageous as Carol, and that she was able to make me feel safe enough so I could ask the hard questions.
0: All right. I think, Andrea, is there any other question you'd like to ask before we go to Rapid Fire?
2: No, we need to go to rapid fire. So. Okay.
0: So we're going to start with David and go to Carol. These are questions, quick answer, quick question, quick answer. So David, you first, what book changed your life? The Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann. I read it in college
1: and uh, it changed the wiring of my brain more than LSD did. <laughs> I've, read yeah. it, I've read it three times since and every single time I read it. It's an
0: epiphany, and I will say a pre-show one was Paul Goodman growing up absurd.
1: Growing so up absurd, yeah. Oh, for any right. for for meaningful work is the other one of the other great uh, tragedies of um, not just American uh, society but the world society. Meaningful work awesome. and. David, I'm going to have yeah. to
2: cut you off because we have to be in rapid fire, so Stop, that means sorry. we're going to short phrase, short title. Rapid, yeah. We love what you had to say, but okay, for the rest I've of us, time. Got it. Full. Cool.
0: Carol, book changed um, your life. Bible. Bible. Would you like to give a second? Sorry. Would you like to give a second one, or would you like to stay with just Bible? No Bible. Okay, you got it, Andre? Okay.
2: Um, I want to know what song re- that you play to really jazz yourself up to get you moving, David.
1: That's, that's a, a, a wonderful question, I write, protected and when I was a kid, I spent three years backstage in one of the last vaudeville houses in America. So the music, show tunes, vaudeville, jazz, actually anything awesome. that's good.
2: Okay. You know? All right, Carol, just the title of the song?
3: I'm proud to be an American.
2: I think
0: that's nice. Cool. Awesome. A movie that inspires you, David? Uh, I'm going to have to give two. Um,
2: Just the the titles,
1: please. The Seventh Seal by Ingmar Bergman and The Magician by Ingmar Bergman. He's our Shakespeare. Awesome. Carol?
2: Awesome. This one's going to be a little different for you. The Hunger Games.
0: Oh, wow. That is different. Mm -hmm. Andrea?
2: Um, I want to know, when you were a little kid, what did you want to grow up and be, Carol? Just a one-word phrase, two-word phrase. A nun. (laughs) David? David, how about you?
1: I didn't want to be a nun. (laughs) Um, I've always wanted to be a
0: writer, a storyteller. Carol's the storyteller. I'm the writer.
2: Back to you, Carol. All right.
0: Final question (laughs) is, what quote do you live by, David? Um, there's
1: uh, Benny, I forgot his name, He's one of the ABBA group, he's also a poet and he wrote a poem called Seventa's Happiest Day about a guy who's been through a terrible night and he's sitting on the stoop in front of his cottage and saying life isn't as bad as it could be and the coffee will be ready soon
0: Awesome, and Carol? I don't know if this is a
3: quote but it's one I do all the time Smile at someone
0: and they'll smile back at you. Boom. Perfect. That is the way to segue into you both are invited into the dose of hope, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, 800 page wallop of hope, 12 volumes. And both of you have such beautiful, inspiring stories. I am elated that you would be part of this. And I hope you accept that you would reach 10 million people or more with your stories. So, would you please join us in this dose of hope? Of course. Uh, Of course. So the pay it forward is that you actually give it to someone else, one to four people, so that they can also share their inspiring stories and we keep growing in hope. So David and Carol, you guys have been amplified. You are beautiful, wonderful spirited leaders. And we are so excited that we are part of the journey with you to help not only tell the truth, but to have people be brave enough that the truth will actually change the world. So thank you very much. God
2: bless. You. And I want to thank our sponsors. We want to thank Bees.social, Social, B-E-E-S Social, the Crypto Literacy Program, Changing the World for the People by the People, the Red Carpet Connection, the Umbrella Syndicate, Perfect Publishing, Big Events USA, the EMF MyMakeupLady.com, Lynn Benavides, and uh, Voice America Influencers Channel, and Men's Men'sFashion.com for the shirts that Ken is wearing. And we want to remind you the keepsmilingmovement.com to come to that spot to make your donations. That's how we... Thrive, to help other people, to save lives with smiles by creating a dose of hope. And also that's where you can submit your legacy story. Scroll down to the legacy button, push that, fill out the form, send it, and you now will be a part of a dose of hope for the future.
0: Awesome. So ladies and gentlemen, play big. We'll see you next week. Stay amplified. And remember, you can make a difference in the world. Change it the way you want to see it.